Alrighty, folks, welcome back to Before Showtime with Connor and Marcelo. This is Marcelo speaking for the intro this time. And this is Connor not speaking. Yes, you are You are time. present. Kong God is in the room, I repeat. I am in the room. So the last fire. episode, we talked a little bit about women talking and all the uh, the BAFTAs, the SAGs, the Oscar noms, stuff like that. Well, the Oscar so, noms that haven't come out that we're predicting way too Exactly. Early. So I kind of want to start this episode talking about the snubs and surprises of the SAG Award nominations, which came out recently. Connor, what do you think about some of the... The surprises of this year. Let's start with the surprises before we go on the snubs. Before the negative, we do the positive. I was surprised to see Adam Sandler for Hustle in the SAGs, even though I, I highly doubt that's happening for the Oscar. Mm. I don't think people are quite as passionate about that as they were with Uncut Gems, even though people did watch it. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I think if we're going to be straight up, Uncut Gems is a better performance, right? Oh. And I, I'm not sure if it's at fault of Sandler or just like the, the material for Uncut's a little stronger. No, yeah, that's a that's a huge surprise that Sandler is still getting love. But I guess it makes sense if it's mostly uh, the actors are the voting body for that one. Yeah. So he still got respect within the acting crowd, it's clear. Especially and, now that he's branching out and like doing even more dramatic roles. Did you, like did you see Jones. Hustle? Did not yet. See? Oh, okay. Not I saw yet. it. Um, I don't know if I would have given him a nomination for best lead per se, because I think he did take the spot of uh, like a Paul Mescal, right? I think that's a little bit of a stronger uh, performance to put in instead. On a side note, Paul Mescal for After Sun, one of my favorite films of the year, he, for his brilliant, understated, deeply troubled performance, he did get... BAFTA and Kirk's Choice nominations, but because that's a very subtle, very slice of life and not quite accessible movie, mm-hmm. and it's an A24 film, I highly doubt that that's going to happen for the Oscar. Yeah. I hope it I, does, I think, though. I don't think enough people saw it. If I last recall, I think the movie made less than a million at the box office, so... That's I, yeah. bad. No, I don't which think is, enough people saw it. Which is surprising, because like, that film has a 4.3 on Letterboxd. People love it. It's one of the most critically acclaimed films of the year. Oh, for sure. It's, people, it, people people ate that up on Letterboxd. I was reading some reviews that were like, yo, this movie changed my life and my perspective on how we can portray this type of subject matter in film. Because it is, you know... Not to sh- not to spoil anything, but Paul Mescal is going through a mental illness during the movie, and his portrayal of that mental illness fucking accurate. I mean, I have to say, I think at times like that film, kind of, uh, you know, there's certain parts where I would have cut because I understand like we need to see the the character sleeping, but do I need to be here for five minutes as he's you know on the on the bed passed out? I'm not sure. I almost would have preferred if they just showed me what actually happened instead of being super kind of like subtly like metaphorical that this thing I don't know. You That's know what I'm saying though? It. Yeah. Anyway. It all visual what's fun. another surprise? Eddie Redmayne for the good nurse. Eddie Redmayne for the good nurse. I have he, not seen that. Have you? Not yet, but the thing is, um he's he seems to be campaigning cuz he didn't just get Golden Globe gone to BAFTA and SAG for supporting actor. Dang. So. He, he, that may end up being that movie's sole Oscar nomination because that seems like a movie that I think people would forget about in like a year or two. For sure. Except for Eddie Redmayne, who... I mean, Chastain is in it, though. Like She is. She's not getting as much buzz. No. Oh, gotcha. Because he's he's playing a serial killing doctor. Yeah. That's that's not a good nurse, actually, Frick. <laughs> he isn't. Are there any other surprises that took you off guard? In terms of major surprises, Hung Chow for the Whale, getting in Sag and BAFTA. Yeah. Because we were thinking it would happen, but we weren't quite sure until she started getting an even bigger awards push. It seems like it only happened recently. For sure. She's finally starting to get roles now. Oh, yeah. I mean, she was in the menu. And a she's going to be in Wes Anderson's next movie, um, Asteroid City. Yeah, she's working with some great directors. It I seemed must like say. she was she, the only thing she was really known for before The Whale on the Menu was for downsizing, which was, yeah. from what I, I recall, did like, you see? that was no. no. Uh, th- 
she got like a SAG and Golden Globe and nominations for that. And that film was panned by critics, but she was even the one bright spot of it. Another big surprise this award season is that regardless of how you feel about Blonde, Anya Armas could be on her way for a nomination. For Oscar? Potentially. Yeah. But her performance as Marilyn Monroe, I mean, I think she's... Like, the... admit, she was the redeeming factor. Has anyone film. played Marilyn Monroe as good as that up to this point in film? I don't think so. I think it's... And I and will somebody be able to top that? Maybe with better material, but it's going to be oh, difficult. far better material. They're going to... It's going to be difficult because Ana de Armas... You know, some people uh, criticize that she kind of does have an accent in certain scenes, but I didn't catch it. I didn't have an issue with what, that. Like, her Cuban accent. I'm like, what I didn't the have an fuck issue are you guys that. psychoanalyzing here? I did not catch my, it. My issues with that film were with the material and not with her accent. Mm-hmm. I agree. Not with her performance. Um, Michelle Williams seems to get kind of snubbed at places. And mm. so Margot Robbie's not performing well for Babylon, even though she was chewing the scenery every scene. Yeah, I can see why they're not nominating Margot Robbie. Well, partly just... because the movie bombed yeah. so horrifically at the box office. Yeah. So was that was that the end of the acting surprises, I guess? Because um, then we can move on to... The biggest snubs. Boom, boom, boom. Yep. All We're right. Move on to snubs. snubs. All right. Let's um, see you get passionate about the snubs, Connor. I want to see that Paul Mescal proponent of he should have been nominated. He was my favorite male lead performance of the year. Even more Partly so than Colin up. Farrell? Partly because that character was someone mm-hmm. so layered and unfortunately for some people very relatable. And he tapped into that portrayal of depression in such a specific way that I think that's why the film and his performance hit so hard. Because he was like, he was like, you could tell he was trying to hide a lot of his inner turmoil. He's so understated and so subtle. And I think that's why it's it's not an Oscar bait performance by any means. No, not by any means. Yeah, and he doesn't have a lot in that particular movie. He doesn't have a lot of dialogue to no. work with. It's a lot more in just like, I don't want to talk. I just want to get in my feels, which can go really haywire with the wrong actor. And Mescal doesn't falter when asked with the yeah. task. I'm hoping he gets nominated for the Oscar, Ooh, even though yeah. a part of me that'd is be a thinking huge it might surprise. not happen. That'd be an Oscar surprise for it, me. That'd be a huge surprise. Although that is a movie I could like see getting a 24 at the mm. Oscars, like Uncut Gems or Farewell, like getting zero nominations. Yeah, yeah, it might be another one of those. It might be one that like the industry people don't quite latch onto as much as the people yeah. who are really. When I went to it. my screening of After Sun. At Landmark, where I work, um, somebody walked out of the movie midway mm. and was like, this is fucking boring. And I was like, okay, uh, yeah, one, can you keep that to yourself? And it's, two, it's not supposed to be a movie that's super exciting or super fast-paced. It's not a very accessible film. No. I'll just warn you of that. Yeah, but if you're watching it on the basis of, is Paul Mescal giving a performance that is noteworthy of a nomination? And is, like, emotionally powerful? I like, must say... I, I I don't know if I would nominate him, but I would not be opposed to it because he was good. He was very good. Yeah. What's another snub? All across award season in general, this isn't a particular show. Sarah Polly seems to be a no show for women talking. Yeah. I am But we talked about why that could be the case, right? Yeah, but at the same time, I'm really dreading seeing that best director lineup when the Oscar nominations are announced and they're all men. Yeah, no. Um, that's going to be... I hope that doesn't happen. I sincerely hope so. If Sarah Polly doesn't get the nomination, who well, would be an, who would be another woman? Charlotte Wells. Charlotte after Wells? Son. You th- I don't or know. Or Gina Prince-Bythewood for Woman King. She got nominated for BAFTA for oh, that. Okay. I so there's some DJ, possibilities. Uh, she got nominated for BAFTA and Critics' Choice for Woman King. Gotcha. And any other, like, big snubs that stood out to you? Um... In terms of big snubs, like did Frazier, Frazier got... Frazier's getting everything. Okay, He's getting good. nominated. Because he didn't even get a Golden Globe. Uh, well, he got the nomination, but... Well, that's because they counted Elvis as a drama. Yeah. Yeah, that's... And of course, pe- people really wanted to the see... The King of Austin Rock Butler is a drama, not a musical? Con- continue doing his Elvis voice during the speech. Well, I think it's not even his Elvis. It's his voice now, bro. <sighs> it's his regular voice now. 
I think we just have to accept uh, that as a general war. audience. Oh, Women Talking got snubbed at um, BAFTA for screenplay. Oh, that yeah. could end up killing that movie. That yeah, that have been that I I deep down like think that's gonna bypass a picture nomination. Really? And just like get like screenplay and score, and that's it. I, yeah, I hope I, not. I don't agree with that, but that could definitely happen because of its underperformance at the box office yeah. and pretty much everywhere. Um, can't think of any like huge snubs other than that, except for the movies that are like definitely not getting nominated for anything. Yeah, like is like Top the... Gun Maverick getting like any nomination? It is. It is. It's. Got nominated for a Globe and Crick's Choice for Best Picture. Tom Cruise got nominated for Crick's Choice. Could be on his way to an Oscar nomination, believe it or not. Oh, I don't because, think that's going to happen, I think happen, it's because dude. the potentially it's not impossible. It's definitely possible. I and think I know, this year's a little too stacked, though, to to give that one spot to Cruise for Top Gun Maverick in a lead performance. I think there's just too many other options. You got Elvis, Austin Butler. You got Colin Farrell, Banshees. You got... Brendan Fraser, The Whale. You know what? I'll let someone else speak for me. Tom Cruise. <laughs> Steven Spielberg. Elvis Presley. Kate Blanchett. And whatever those blue people in Avatar are called. Yeah, that's award season in a nutshell. Thanks, oh, Quentin Tarantino. Thanks, Tarantino. So Tarantino wants that. Tom Cruise nomination. That's pretty clear. And I think, as far as I can tell, Top Gun Maverick is going to win cinematography, largely because they put the camera in the plane. Oh, and yeah. those flight scenes of I don't think I've seen aerial flight scenes look that good on film. You know, honestly, be, yeah, that's probably and, the best. And execution mostly practical effects too. Mm-hmm. Like, so no, what Cruise, you're about- Cruise literally said, "I'm not doing this movie unless we're going on the goddamn planes and we're training and we're like actually flying the planes." And I'm like. That's a way to make a goddamn movie last because in 10 years, when people watch it again, they cannot say like, oh, this thing didn't age well because they actually were in oh, the cockpit flying. Like It was for real. You have to respect that shit and like, it, later on. And it seems like it's going to be, in terms of Oscar for film editing, it's going to be between that and everything everywhere. I'm rooting mm. for everything everywhere. Yeah. I think it's going to, I hope it's not going to be like a Ford v Ferrari winning over Parasite situation where like the clear... The clearly better edited, more skillfully edited, more innovative movie ends up losing to a racing movie. It could happen. Yeah, it definitely could happen again. That wouldn't. Uh... That has a lot of editing and right. yeah. Oh, so okay. Here's, here's... Let me ask you this, because you you would know this. Did Mark Rylance from Bones and All get any nominations? Because if not, hell no, dude. Snub, dude. He was awesome in Bones and All. He plays. One of the creepiest Sully. characters of the year named Sully, and he talks about himself in, like, the first Sully person. Sully don't like you Sully no don't more. like you no more. No, but, like, he, he... It didn't look stupid when he was doing it, which, honestly, those type of roles, my God, they can go haywire real fucking fast. Yeah. And he did not. He was very, very scary in yeah, that movie. Yeah, horror movie of the year for me. When he's freaking out in that movie, I think he does a better freak out than a lot of other actors in the in the industry right now. And nobody's just like nobody blinks an eye because I think Bones and All, like you know, is not this most accessible movie. Oh no, in the world. hell no! It's literally about cannibals and love. But can't we like respect the artistry put into that movie? That movie got zero noms, right? Zero. It's not getting it. And in fact, I created. Just for my own, just for emotional support, mm-hmm. I created The Ripplist. What, what is that? The Ripplist is a films this award season that I know are going to get jack shit, or I think are probably going to get jack shit. So here's the list. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm hoping these don't happen, but I'm just going to get emotionally prepared for this. After Sun, The Northman. Oh yeah, the because Northman it came out. Nothing. It came out too earlier in the year. Yeah, and it bombed at the box office. It didn't like bomb bomb, but it bombed like for yeah, it lost the money. budget level that that movie was on. Pearl and X, Mia Goth. Oh Mia yeah. Goth. Wait, Mia Goth for Pearl just... is that a snub, bro, or is that just me? Because that last like okay, not to spo- there's a scene in the movie where it's just on her face and it works because the acting is 
is one of the best performances for that a goes female on for this year. Minutes and minutes. I feel like that's going to be like a Tony Collette in Hereditary or a S.E. Davis in The Babadook, where it like is Absolutely. an incredible role in a horror film that doesn't get nominated because of yeah genre biases and mm-hmm. critters. Yep. Um, nope, nope, getting nothing. Wow. No, the Academy said, "What did the Academy say to that?" Special effects. Nope. It's gonna get some, right? Maybe it's it's not getting a lot though. Jesus. The visual effects brands don't seem to care that much about it. They didn't it. care how cool the freaking thing in the sky and, was and they when did it Gord- came. And Gordy was mocap. It actually didn't look too bad. No, it looked great. It it didn't look like when uh, Gordy was doing his uh, fun part in that movie. I I was believing it. Yeah. And also that deserved a cinematography nod, and that's not getting it, despite being freaking Hoyt Van Hoytema, mm-hmm. Nolan yeah. cinematographer, and being an IMAX. Come on. After Yang, I think the f- second out of four Colin Farrell movies that came out this year. That guy does not stop working, and I respect it. It was a great sci-fi film. It was good. It was, it was it was directed by Koganada, right? Yeah, Koganada, who is who was a, originally a YouTuber that did video essays. For yeah, he like, did stuff for the Criterion Collection. Yeah, I think he did the before trilogies uh, video essays for Criterion. Yes, I remember that. Yeah. Um, X, which remember when they put me a goth in full makeup to play the older yep. Pearl? Yeah. That's oh, not going to get anything. Not um, even makeup. Ooh, and Crimes of the Future. I know you hate this movie, but okay. I don't, I don't hate movies, but I yeah. Cronenberg. I've seen a lot better Cronenberg work. Like, uh, have you ever seen um, Videodrome? I love Videodrome, dude. That is like basically what he's trying to do with body horror, just way better execution, in my opinion. Crimes of the Future actually end up on the short list for makeup, which I kind of hoped happens because of the guy with all the years. Oh, yeah. No, the makeup was good. The makeup in that was, like, Fantastic. so fucking cool. But yeah. I don't think it's going to happen because it's too gross and grotesque. Yeah. Cha-Cha Real Smooth, which I know isn't going to happen. It, small Indie that small came indie. out earlier. Honestly, Very though, good, but... Cooper Rafe, watch out, audience. He is watch coming. Watch out for him. Because I don't want to, like, you know, call it too soon. I think he can be, like, the next, like, link later of our times. Because I, I really think he, he has a strong... Um, sensibility with directing and acting that's not normally seen with a person under 30 years old this guy is like 27 doing pretty good solid good independent films that have a lot of heart his heart is what shows through with his movies yeah next off on my rip list is bros bros i didn't catch that you did though i did it was so funny yeah it was it, what would you was, what would you like nominate it screenplay for? screenplay original screenplay because um I remember bridesmaids got nominated True. that was like a that was a pretty game changing like like studio comedy but which... bridesmaids what's the difference bridesmaids made money what did bros like bros bombed if I it checked. did like even did. didn't I, didn't the creator say like Billy I Eichner. don't think people are ready to go to the theater and watch like a gay rom com and you could argue based on those numbers. He's not yeah. saying He's something. Not, Billy Eckner wasn't totally wrong. False. Yeah. Which sucks because it was a very good movie. Also, an original song because he had like a Garth Brooks style, like spoof country song oh, that no he way. played for his partner towards the end. It was very funny. Interesting. Um, The ripplest one, other than After Sun and Northman, that breaks my heart the most is Bones and All. Bones and All. Because yeah. I know it's one of those horror films that is not Oscar bait, but is like. No, this will give a, a hint to people that like are hunting for me on Letterbox. Bones and All was a top five movie of the Same year for me. me. Yeah, so honestly, I don't, I don't, I understand why it's not getting nominations because obviously, but it's, it's a fucked up. Are movie. we gonna, are we gonna move past the cannibalism and actually watch like the movie for what it is? Because if you're able to do that, I could even argue Taylor Russell got a fucking snub for not getting nominated. Actually, the bigger snub. Mark Rylance. Bigger snub, Mark Rylance, but Taylor Russell, like, you could argue is the one, if they were to nominate somebody, it would be her. Because she's got the most screen time. Um, her character is, you know, a little bit more likable than Mark Rylance, to say the oh, least. Oh, obviously. Anyway, we are going On to, to the pivot. best. Di- when we're, we're discussing so, best. So director. for this, we are going to title this section Saving Private Cameron. Dun, 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 dun. Okay. For this part of this 
review, I want to start by talking about James Cameron and then Jim going Cameron. to Spielberg. Oh, yes. newsflash. We're doing James Cameron and Steven Spielberg as our two auteurs that we're The kings analyzing of the summer today. blockbuster. But, you know, let's talk Avatar Way of Water because that just came out. That's fresh. Um, my first thoughts, wow. Visually, it, it held film. up. Like, I was going into the movie being like, if this is not going to be a visual masterpiece, I don't think we need to make more avatars. No. But I, I watched it in 4DX in the biggest screen possible in San Diego, and I was legit flying with the creatures and, like, the water creatures. I was swimming with them. You went on – so you basically went on the ride was, at Animal Kingdom. I was – in Pandora, and I liked it. Like when they were in like a forest section of the movie, the, the theater would spray like in out. The first half. They would spray out some like Calvin Klein forest scent, and honestly, you could think that was yeah. distracting. It wasn't. It was so immersive because the visuals. I don't know how else to it's say this. It's a feast for the eyes. Like you can see the water droplets on their face, and you can see the hair moving underwater, and you know for a fact, Cameron, like legit had the actors like go into a water tank and film it because the way the hair moves in the water i haven't seen it done that well on film because remember earlier in the year wakanda forever had water underwater sections it, it made it look bad but it wasn't bad but way of water made uh wakanda forever's underwater sections look bad because of yeah. the execution and the technology that cameron's dealing with is way better yeah, I mean, Cameron's no stranger to visual effects in, in innovations. So mm-hmm. so it's no surprise that he made, like, another, like, staggering-looking film yeah. that was extremely expensive to make. Yeah, but, oh, my God. He executed, like, when they introduce you to the water part of Pandora, which is kind of like, you know, in the first movie, it, it's kind of, oh, it, the audience is learning about Pandora as a landscape. Whereas in the new film, it's learning about the we're oceans. We're, ju- we're going underwater. And I think that was actually such a brilliant move because it would have been like how it much felt longer. like a retread. Yeah, like how were. much longer in the forest can I handle before I'm yeah. losing interest? And I never lost interest in the water, I must say. Honestly, Every the more, single the more scene, interesting stuff was in the underwater section. For sure. There's creatures in the underwater section that for me topped the creatures in the first movie that they introduced. Definitely. Although I would want to ride a banshee. I would – yeah, Banshees, it's not bad. But also, dude, I would ride a whale too. There was a whale in the new one. My favorite uh, – A whale one of like my, Brendan Fraser? No, literally one of my favorite characters in the new Avatar was a non-speaking animal. And it it worked because they it, the animal was able to form a bond with one of the kids that I could actually buy. Yeah, one of the kids who is played by Sigourney Weaver – which, by the way, out of all the children, she was the best actress and she's an adult, which I don't know what you want to take apart from that. But the best actor for a child actor was an adult in this case. In a mocap suit. If I were to kind of pick a flaw with the film, it's that um, the writing for the child actors and the acting just didn't go well sometimes. Yeah, I didn't really like the one character, the, the one like main human character, yeah. Spider. Yeah, I, I, kind of I, annoying. I think he was the weakest one out of all like yeah. the new kids got that they introduced. Too much to do. Not even too much. It's just like, okay, do we really need to see this storyline again? Like yeah. we know what this character's gonna yeah. do. But I don't. I, I don't think you go into James Cameron movies going for the writing and the screenplay. No. Like you're going for the visual feast and Way of Water fucking executes on that level. It's like def- it was definitely worth seeing in theater. I saw it at, at an AMC in Georgetown in IMAX 3D. Mm-hmm. Um, fun fun fact. Right as the Nicole Kidman ad was ending, we found out that we were given the wrong 3D glasses. Oh really? There's and more so than one. We. There were the somebody went to went into the theater who worked there and they like stopped the Nicole Kidman ad right after right as she was saying, I am C theaters. We make movies better. <laughs> and he was like, he was like, some of you got the wrong glasses, so we're giving you the right glasses. Some of them were like real 3D, real D 3D, but like. No, honestly, respect them just like stopping the whole thing and being like, hey, we're making sure you're not watching this movie blurry because that would have that would have been horrible for you if you had to go through watching the movie and it's not even the correct format. And this is like one of the few cases I've seen in any movie where the 3D actually works. 
mm. and isn't completely like obtrusive to the viewing experience i i didn't get a headache a single time no if, like that i actually and was you saw thinking, it in 48 frames I per second it, dude i saw it in 40 so if i was gonna get a headache it would be like from the movement of like the creatures yeah. but i didn't because god damn it it was fucking visually a f- such a good film and i was even less likely because i didn't have the 40 and i didn't have 48 frames per second mine was 24 oh yeah honestly the 48 when the spider was moving sometimes i could kind of tell it was off but especially with the live action characters but a majority of the film is following the navi so like i'm not gonna like nitpick that because like oh we have a couple scenes with spider that i honestly i'm not even the hugest fan of the spider storyline anyway so i was okay with it um Kind of pivoting, we talked about the child actors. What do you think of um, Sam Worthington as Jake Sully returning? Who's just kind of there for you? What, what yeah. was it? Yeah, it was just there. Yeah. Again, yeah, with the, yeah. the characters in Avatar, like kind of take them or leave them. Yeah. It's more about, it's I, really I, about the spectacle. I even think Zoe Zaldana like didn't have as much to do per se. Like there is a because point. she was like the mother, yeah, of the. I have to Navi say children. though, there is one scene where she she was going for the emotion because it's like required, and it was working for me. Yeah, I know it's a little bit like, you know, we're really going super dramatic here, but I yeah. think Zoe Zaldana don't expect is able a James Cameron movie to be particularly subtle. Yeah, yeah. Another thing about that is, like, I think the plot with Way of Water was a little bit formulaic. Don't you have to say? I mean. Yeah. It was one of the it flaws, kinda, though. It kind of goes without saying being an Avatar sequel. Yeah. I'm I'm very biased towards this one because we di- we both are because mm-hmm. we did get to have that theater experience. I'm not sure how well it'll play at home, though, when it comes to streaming. Weirdly, I think it, it'll play well because... It's, Avatar didn't... The first one didn't really play well with people when it... Yeah, when... when like, they streaming. were, like, kind of bashing it and stuff. Yeah. But... Also, the weekend song in the end credits, I like the weekend. That song sucks. Yeah, I didn't really notice it, so that probably like, is not a good sign. I was sign. like, uh, it was yeah. This is this is this would not be an after hours or Dawn FM. That's for sure. Speaking of Way of Water, we can't talk about Way of Water without talking about the box office, right? It um, is so in the beginning, dude. In the beginning, everyone was freaking out like, "Holy crap! It's gonna bomb! It's not even gonna make one point two. Don't doubt James Cameron. No. His That's... word of mouth for that movie went hard because I even I was even overhearing people like that don't normally go to movies ask like, oh, did you check out Way of Water? And I'm like, oh, OK. The word of mouth got through to this non moviegoer and it's working because look at the numbers right now. I think it just surpassed uh, 1.6 bill, which means it like is... if it goes at this pace, it will make two billion. I'm yeah, pretty sure. at the moment, it is the highest grossing film of 2022 worldwide Dang, uh, domestically top gun. domestically top gun. top gun maverick still has it and it's at um avatar of the way of water is at 1.957 billion 1.9 so it's gonna pass 2 billion jeez it's passing is it gonna billion. pass the original the um, box office i don't think so i think it might it, dude because if you think about impossible. it the 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 thing about the original is like it boomed in the very beginning, right? Like everyone went, and then it kind of slowed down. This one is doing the opposite. Like, this one kind of yeah. started strong and then just kept getting stronger, like the yeah. box office. I think that was the same story with the first one, though, because like it was. Cons- I think both films were like considered a quote unquote disappointment on oh. the first weekend, but then word of mouth spread so yeah. quickly. All right, so we kind of picked our brain on Avatar: Way of Water. Let's go backtrack. To, to 1984. Cameron's first movie. Real movie. We, we don't talk about Piranha 2. And what is it titled, Connor? What is his 1984 flick called? It's Night of the Robot. I mean the Terminator. <laughs> oh, the Terminator, that one. Yeah. yeah Everyone knows the Terminator. Never heard of it. I, I have to say, I rewatched it a couple days ago just to yeah. make sure I was prepared for this conversation. He has improved as a director tenfold. Um... I do have to say though, the Terminator holds up. It does. My God, those those action scenes are so like even the chase scenes with uh, Arnold on a motorcycle. Like I was never like, oh, this looks like shit. This looks like a nineteen eighty four. No, it holds up. Yeah, and it was a... the practical effects in that movie are fucking fantastic. Like, they are people. 
people say like the animatronic Arnold looks bad when he's taking his eye out and stuff. Like I mean, like I guess he's like fake looking. I mean, but I guess him look more I robotic. guess it was 1984 and we didn't have the fucking technology to and make it, a robot look real. But well, for the time, that must have looked really, really good. And, I, I can imagine. And the first Terminator, the story behind it was that James Cameron was first of all he. After he saw Star Wars, he quit his job at, as a truck driver and was like, fucking, I'm going to make movies. And then he got a job at Roger Corman's New World Pictures effects studio. He worked on a bunch of, like, low-budget, like, B-sci-fi and horror films. He worked on Galaxy of Terror, Battle Beyond the Stars. And he actually worked on the matte paintings for John Carpenter's Escape from New York. When wow, you see, I didn't know that. When you see them, like, going towards, like, some of the landscapes, like, that's a matte painting. Oh. And... He got his first directing job directing Piranha 2, The Spawning, the greatest flying piranha movie ever made. He disowns that one, though, right? He doesn't yeah, because like he got constantly fired and rehired. But what happened, a happy accident happened as a result of that film. He was in Rome about to promote it, and he got sick. And he had a fever dream of a giant evil cyborg rising from the ashes. Sounds and guess familiar. What? Film history made. And yeah. the way he made it was like, he. The what was film, the budget, dude? That I think that was not a lot. Six point five million. Oh my god, dude! That movie looks more like even today on today's standards. And it because, was uh, the effects of the the Arnold while still being Arnold, and he has like the robot eye. You could argue it's a little dated, but that ain't cheap, dude. Fuck you, asshole! To get a animatronic of uh, like Arnold and like you know. Yeah, Sam Winston did those effects, and oh. he went on to work on T2, which was arguably like an even more yeah. revolutionary film with effects. Because that, James Cameron finally got the budget for Terminator 2. Mm. So besides the effects, though, Connor, and besides, like, you know, Arnold is fucking awesome as the Terminator. He right? should play more villains that yeah. aren't Mr. Freeze. He, 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 he was awesome. But, like, what's, like, the thing that, like, you take away from that movie and it still lasts for you? I think the fact that it was made as this kind of scrappy, like, low-budget sci-fi horror movie. Like, the Terminator is basically a slasher villain. For sure. He... He, like, straight up, like, kills people in cold blood. He rips out one of the punks' heart, and he's, like, he's terrifying, surprisingly. And it has, like, the—it feels like, like, an old B-horror film with the synth score and the low-budget oh, effects. Yeah. And the fact that he was able to create this, like, vivid, like, just bleak-as-hell post-apocalyptic landscape. Yeah. Like, on such a— kind of a tiny budget mm-hmm. and you know where the movie so is really strong on the rewatch is the fact that they don't really reveal information until later on in the movie so you're kind until- of always like why why is she being chased and then you figure that out but then you're like why is uh sean connor john like, ha- connor it's john john connor that's no that's her son isn't sean the dad I no thought- kyle reese is the dad oh Remember? kyle Remember when they, they have sex and then it turns Kyle. out to be it turns out to be John Connor? Yeah. Okay. So John Connor, um, you know, he has like a a reason for wanting to save her. No, but no, it no, doesn't no. It's get not revealed. John Connor. It's Kyle Reese who turns. Oh, Kyle Reese. That. Okay, so Kyle but Reese kicks from aliens. Yeah, Kyle Reese when he you know is saving Sarah Connor. There's a reason, but they actually take their time to reveal what that reason is, and it's. Yeah. Actually a really solid reason. Because you don't know whether to actually trust him. Like, he seems like a stalker. Mm-hmm. Like, when you first, like, see him, like, looking for a Sarakana. Mm-hmm. No, it was it was, it was was a good way to unfold the plot without revealing, like, oh, okay, this is why. Because there is a twist later on that gets revealed in the movie that actually adds nuance to his journey as a whole. Yes, it's a, deep down it's a love story. Yeah. And it's, the time and travel like aspects, the time too. travel aspects of that movie, like it could have went like confusing. It was never like confusing. They keep flashing back. It makes sense and, of and course, I kind of liked it. You all got to mention the grandfather paradox how Kyle Reese is actually the father of John Connor. Well, that's like what that's I was saying earlier travel. that gives him like more motivation that like it's not like I need to save this uh woman. Not because, like, I was ordered to do so as a soldier. It's because I need to save my son. It's fucking deep, dude. It is. And 
later on when you see the endoskeleton of Terminator, like not until the like like the third act, and it's all stop motion and it's partly an animatronic, it's it's actually kind of terrifying. Yeah, I was scared by that as a kid. No, it was it was it was well done. He, Cameron's definitely evolved in like how he writes. He his doesn't characters. even do he sex scenes anymore. He, he knows like the he, hell. He's he now knows how to write female characters. Yeah, finally. Yeah. Um, I have to say, for the time, having like a female lead like not be super dumb though was nice to see. And like like a blank slate, but like still someone. No, she was a strong character. With. Like, remember that part where um, uh, Connor Connor's injured, right? Uh, oh, you were you were injured, Connor? No, no. the the Connor from the film was injured. And she was like, get up, no, that's Priest. Get on your feet, soldier. Yeah. I was like, there we go. There we go. Strong female protagonist done right. And she was like kind of written to be like almost the final girl in a slasher movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, James Cameron, like straight, I think he cites Halloween and. Oh, that like, movie is the epitome, on... like you said, of a slasher mixed with sci-fi. Terminator. Low budget. And it's like a smart combination of the genres. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it aged well, too. And it's like it remained such an influential film on like the genre yeah. and no, like, the history. The Terminator. And it's like all like a neon noir mm-hmm. too. The Terminator is like if you watch the film, you can see why he's giving these massive budgets. Because he made that with six point five. Like that like, movie, imagine pulling that off. That movie looks like a twenty to thirty mil for the time project with the effects he was playing with. with and I guess you could argue there was not a lot of actors, so he did okay. But like, look he at need, the effects, he, oh. dude. You need you need like money. The locations. He's always a proponent of shooting on location, at yeah. least in that movie. Now I I don't think he shoots in, in Pandora, but I think his film he simulates it. I think right? His film crew actually got pulled over by the police when they were shooting the ending, and one of the effects guys just told him like, "Hey, this is my kid's film school project," and they let him go. Yeah, they didn't have permits for anything. It was like a low budget production. Yeah, no, that's a way to do it back in the day. So now, kind of pivoting to another film another of that auteur. time. We're going to start talking about E.T. Extraterrestrial because Spielberg has to be discussed when it becomes – even to the Oscar race this year. I think he's – is anybody Fableman's? watching? Like that, he might get it. He got – it's I, – I still think Daniels are going to get it, but like still – Still. He he's a globe. threat. He still is a threat and he – He did get the glow. And he's making his most personal film yet, The yeah. Fablemans. So kind of linking with that – E.T. for you, you you've talked to me off off the off the pod, I will say, about how this maybe before Fablemans was his most personal, right? Yeah. W- why is that the case for you? I think it's because it deals with a dysfunctional family and divorced parents. The fact that the in E.T. the father is completely absent and you see the the children like Elliot and and his brother's like getting on each other's nerves and and you see like ET coming into his life and like kind of giving him that emotional support absolutely he, no the and the connection a, the connection between the alien and the main protagonist's name is Elliot Elliot, Elliot. That could have went really fucking muppety that could have been a muppets movie gone wrong but Spielberg is is such a fucking savant at directing He's able to make you almost cry about this kid who's uh, seeing his friend, was when his friend ET getting goes. like experimented on. It was heartfelt. That's the thing I think I take most from ET is just the amount of heart that movie has is almost unparalleled. To you know, think about like a movie that like has more like childhood innocent mixed with heart than ET Extraterrestrial, and I will I will listen to you, but I don't think you'll be there able to are find few some that touch it. And they get I, close, but do they even get close to that scene where like he's literally like E.T.'s in that white hospital bed, right? And Elliot's like, please don't hurt my friend. Something along those lines. He's like, please, please. Like he's my friend. He's not he's not yeah. just an alien. Like he's and, I love him. I love him. And they they're like, we don't give a shit. We're the, the government. But it's G-Man. touching, dude. Uh, and the kids. Henry Thomas, Drew Barrymore being the biggest star to get out of the film. Yeah, they would have thought. Yeah, no, They're one incredible. of the best, one of the best child the best performances, child performances of all time. I think particularly from Thomas, right? From Henry Thomas. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't think Barrymore did much in that movie, like except play like the typical four year old sister. The, the sister. 
but like him, he 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 brought it. He brought it for sure. I do have to say, um, some some of the pacing in the beginning may be a little slow mm. for some viewers, but yeah. you know, you got to set up the world. I've heard people like a surprising amount of people like criticize ET for being like over sentimental and like. Oh yeah, I think Kubrick like, has said like after he watched ET, he like he could see like. Spielberg clearly has a lot of craft, but he said his emotionality gets in the way of his work. And I think if you were to pinpoint it, E.T. is like probably the first sign of him doing that. Because before E.T., let's talk about this. Before E.T., what did he release? He had released Jaws, right? Jaws, close well, well, do, Jaws in what well, year? We all, Jaws in what year? 1975. Well, we go all the way back and he did Duel and Sugarland Express. Yeah, if you want to go way, way. But let's talk about after Jaws because that's when his Jaws. real, like, that's, when, that's he, when his film career really popped off. Yeah, because Duel, Duel was like a small. Duel was a TV, Duel was a made for TV movie mm-hmm. that got like acclaimed enough to get released in some theaters. And Sugarland Express, a really well liked film by the people who saw it, but I have not seen it. It didn't do well because Goldie Hawn was ca- being cast in a dramatic role and th- people were kind of taken aback by that. Sometimes that works though. It worked in the case of Sugarland. Oh, it did. Okay. She was incredible in it. Like, you, would you recommend me watching Sugarland? Oh, definitely. Oh, okay. Definitely check out like Spielberg's deeper cuts. So does he do Sugarland and then goes to Jaws? Yeah, because wow. that because, is a career pivot, right? Yeah, because they were like happy. The studio execs loved Spielberg mm-hmm. on Sugarland because I think he was like what like twenty eight when he made it, and they were like shocked by how well he actually handled the shoot and like getting it in like under budget. And, yeah, and guess and guess what? When they got him for Jaws, shit went sideways. Yeah. The shark is not working. The shark is not working. <laughs> That's the no, but you know one of the biggest things about Spielberg that doesn't get talked about because most people don't read the behind the scenes and stuff is his ability to pivot when like shit is not going his way. Like the shark is not working. I think I would have imploded. The shark is not working. I would have imploded. I've been like, wait, working. the the villain of my movie. I can't even show it without and, it looking stupid. And they showed it, and they shot it on the sea because Spielberg was adamant about not shooting on on a studio tank because he didn't want it to look fake. And guess what? Like the boat started sinking, mm-hmm. and the people, the sound guys were like, the like all the other crew members were like, save the actors, save the actors, and the sound guys were like, fuck the actors, save the sound equipment. Mm-hmm. So so he goes from Jaws, right? To and Close Encounters. To Close Encounters, which is where... Which is another very personal That's film where I him. see the E.T. influence the most, from with Close Encounters. It's very much like a, like a somewhat more like grounded and adult E.T. Yeah. That, but, but it also tackles similar themes of like a strained family relationship. And with that and E.T. and, and now Fablemans, we can see like the impact that his very personally that his parents divorcing and his strained relationship with his family really had on him and his work mm-hmm. so after close encounters he does 1941 which, which didn't I haven't do seen. which wasn't a bomb but pretty much everyone who saw it hated it because it was like him trying to do a big budget comedy that was also about Pearl Harbor and was actually Dan Aykroyd's first film no way and John Belushi was this like wacky pilot and they had this they had this kind of funny spoof you have to admit, Jaws like, at the beginning. That's a, that is a weird choice for him to pick yeah. after Close Encounters. Like you're, yeah. you're like for people that don't know, Connor's favorite filmmaker of all time is arguably Steven Spielberg, yep. right? Yep. So, he, he's the one who got me into but it. But 1941 is not a highlight reel. No, for sure. it's not. And then he get he gets to Raiders, and then he finally like bounces back and like wins over the people who like doubted him because of 1941. Yep. And and he goes from he actually the part of the reason he decided to make E.T. the way he did was first of all it originally smaller started smaller scale right it's a smaller yes, scale definitely and he originally started off as as a couple ideas he wanted to make a even back in the seventies he wanted to make a coming of age movie about his life and but he also had this idea that he was working on with the screenwriter John Sales called Night Skies which was a more of like a a scary alien invasion movie but like only one of the aliens was friendly and he like thought about he wrote a subplot in with an alien befriending an autistic child which later morphed into et yeah so i can see that so he decided to like kind of mold like the more personal idea with the alien invasion idea Mm. 
Also, we can't talk about E.T. without talking about the one of the most iconic shots in film, which is them riding on the bikes, as right? John, as John Williams' score swells. Yeah. Oh and with we didn't even talk about John Williams, Johnny bro. F- that John, might, E.T. might be, you know, one of the best soundtracks of all time. I will say it up front. It's more because it has that wonderment of childhood innocence mixed with just like just like a, a melody you can't get out of your head. That's the thing about Williams is like his melodic games are so strong. Like, you know how most people are like Hans Zimmer's like the top. Oh, come on. Composer? It's John Williams. Of, no, but like working, I guess, because Williams uh, yeah. just retired. Williams. Um, and this is as far as I can tell, Fableman's is going to be. Fableman's and Indiana Jones 5, which Spielberg isn't directing, are going to be his swan song. He's retiring after that. and Is he even doing Indiana Jones 5 score? He is. Oh, he is? That's so going to be his last, one? last score before he retires. So Fableman's was his last score with Spielberg. Yeah, Jeez. that's going to be the last Whoa. time that his We Spielberg's... just lost. Wait, did people just like comprehend? We just lost one of the greatest director-composer duos of all time. We did. And like it just was like, yep, that's it. And... Spielberg worked with three his main the people who work on all pretty much all of his films I think since Close Encounters were composer John Williams um, cinematographer I think Janusz Kaminski he started using on Schindler's List and um, the editor Michael Kahn who he started working with Close Encounters those three that's Fableman's is going to be the last is the last collaboration between him and his his main crew so let's let's just talk about fablemans now that we're there um the score right very very subtle right one of definitely not one of williams's more subtle scores it's not in the movie that much but like when When it's there it's it's powerful though it's powerful and yeah. the piano, it makes sense because um, Sammy Fableman's mother, right, is a pianist. So I actually understand, like, we don't need, like, a huge string quartet here. No, we, we don't... just need to get, like, super personal, super low-key. Yeah, I don't think this really needed a big, like, E.T. or Raiders-like score. Definitely Because not. it's, like, it's, it's a much lower-key, like, film for him. Yeah. It's about his life. And Spielberg, like, wanted to hide a lot of this stuff about his personal life. And it, like, took him this long to actually get it out in his work, like, Mm. pretty clearly, even though there were, like, echoes of it in in Close Encounters, in E.T., with the family dynamic. And later on, I think his most personal film was probably Schindler's List, him him being Jewish and having lost how many ancestors in True. the Holocaust. Yeah. He actually contemplated retirement after making that movie. And because I understand. And yeah. because he made that, he he decided to use all of his money to found the Shoah Foundation, which was mm-hmm. meant to which it was an initiative to educate like more people on the Holocaust. No, Spielberg honestly he has his touch on everything. Yeah. But back to Fableman's, uh the directing in this movie's impeccable. It's it just is. You're watching it and you're you're lost in like the film because of Spielberg's magic. Yeah, this right? has some of the most. It like looks like, like it was the... shot on film, but like it has it... the clearness of digital. That's yeah. how I felt when I watched it. And it like as soon as the movie's like starts, you have like him him young Sammy using his eight millimeter camera to crash the train, and like him looking at the film through his hands, like. You already have some of the most magical stuff Spielberg except for shot. The iconic, like, wonderment shot that Spielberg does, yeah. right? Um, speaking to that, I, I loved how the story started uh, with Sammy as a kid. And then it, it and then it goes to him as, like, a teen. I thought that was such... Because they could have just held on the teen thing because that's the majority of the film. Yeah. But... I think you need to show where that love of cinema started, right? And that's yeah. what they show him in the a, beginning. Him as a child seeing Greatest Show on Earth mm-hmm. with that train crash. Mm-hmm. What do you think? What do you think of the performances in the film? I thought they were all great. A lot of people didn't like Michelle Williams in it, though. I like, think they said she it's was, like, pretty dramatic and like it's an extravagant unquote. performance. Maybe you could. But say. I think it works for the character. Oh yeah! If anyone ever reads anything about Spielberg's mother, she was very eccentric, and it's probably one of the reasons why he's a filmmaker today. Because the Fableman shows, like his father was a super like IBM tech computer yeah, he was guy, a tech guy, and didn't really like that Spielberg was 
was dabbling in such an artistic field. Yeah. But, but his but, mother but was his... a true a true artiste, you know? And like, his uncles, they loved him for that. Yeah, yeah. Even oh, Judd by Hirsch. the way, Judd Hirsch coming in for that, like, they wow. He was awesome in it. But you know who I want to talk about is Paul Dano. Paul Dano freaking was so good as the father that as supported his Daddy son, Spielberg. but didn't at times because he has other interests. It was just... That was something I like. I really could like latch onto because I've seen it in real life where you know you have somebody that they love you, but they can't really support your passion because yeah. it's not what they like. And um, it's not they I don't share passion. I thought Dano showed all like the little layers of that complication, right? Where you you love your son, but you just you also want your son to have a fucking job. That'd be nice. Yeah. The fact that this movie about my favorite filmmaker and my ultimate passion, neither of us like want to be like doing this podcast for the rest of our lives. No, like we're going to be going in to the industry and we want to. And me being somebody when I was like nine, ten years old, I would read and study like all about Spielberg's films and and would constantly just idolize him for like how he was able to persevere with his work and be able to go from go from here to being like probably the first name you think of when you think filmmaker. I think of the modern era. Spielberg is like the filmmaker of the modern era of cinema. He is. Because you could argue too, maybe Scorsese because he's still working, but I don't know. This this Fableman's movie, I think it's, it's, it's a little bit stronger than the recent works of Scorsese. I'll say it up front. Damn. Did you have any issues with the movie? I don't. No, not a single I, one. I I was, I, I, I'm really really biased towards it as someone who's like who could relate to and I could relate to Sammy Fableman. I'm a child of divorced parents. Mm. I've I have used like my love of movies like as a way to like cope with everything, just like young Steven Spielberg did. And I Spielberg was the first filmmaker I like really loved and yeah. like really. And like whose films really touched me. He, I grew, I grew up in his films. I, this film like feels like it was made for me, and it's it's made for honestly, film lovers. That's for sure. I that's one of the flaws I have with the movie. I think it is actually so made for people that love movies that it's a little inaccessible to others. Because when I watched maybe. the movie, I watched it with a friend who likes movies but is not like super like duper movies. into it. And they were like, yeah, it was a little bit boring for me because, like, yeah. I'm not, you know, I'm not a filmmaker. I don't get I off guess. watching Sammy Fableman give direction to an actor that's super good. Right? I did. But we I did. did. We're biased. I – and the thing is, um, Hot Take, it's my second favorite film of the year behind Whoa. Everything Everywhere. Dude, steam. It was – honest. it might have been a tie, fucking honestly. Fiery. This film really spoke to me in ways that, like, few others this year had. Well, we're going to leave on that – no, and uh, wrap up this podcast. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Thanks for tuning and in. See you next time for what do we have up? We have Oscar nominations are coming out, so we'll They're talk coming. about that. And me and Connor will also talk about Infinity Pool starring Brian Mia Carter Goth and film. Alexander Skarsgård, which is going to be fun. And then we'll kind of mix in our discussion with modern horror too. So see you right. next time. Stay tuned. Same bat time, same bat channel. <laughs>